We're starting a new sermon series today. And what's it called? It's called Pictures of the Church. What is it about? We are going to be looking at metaphors that the New Testament uses for the church and what they teach us about what God has made us to be. Uh, Metaphors are word pictures that help us understand something better. If I say to you today, it is raining cats and dogs, which clearly it is not. But if I were to say to you today, it's raining cats and dogs, you would understand that there are not actual Siamese cats and St. Bernard's falling from the sky, right? That could be dangerous. Adorable in some cases, but dangerous. But if I say it's raining cats and dogs, do you picture a drizzle or a downpour? That's right, you picture a downpour, and it communicates that to us. If I say I went to a school, and I sat in on a classroom, and it was a zoo, you know that there's no literal giraffes or zebras or tigers involved in that statement. Although that would make school more fun, wouldn't it, kids? Right? But what do I mean if I say that classroom was a zoo? I mean it was wild and unruly. And metaphors help us understand more about something. And in the New Testament, God regularly uses these word pictures in order to help us understand what he designed his church to be. He says, we're his bride. We're a family. We're a priesthood. We're a temple. And today, we're going to look at the fact that God calls us a body. We are a body. What does God want us to understand about his church when he calls us a body? We're going to look at one of the passages in the New Testament that talks about us being a body, and then we'll draw in some of the other passages about being a body as we move along. But read with me Romans chapter 12. I'll give you a moment to turn there in your Bibles or your devices, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 8 today of Romans 12. It says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ According to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now this morning, I'm not going to be going through every one of those gifts listed in that passage or the others that are listed within the New Testament. If you want to know more about individual gifts and what they are and how they apply to your life, Let me invite you to take the Discover class that we offer the next time that it's offered. But this morning, I want to focus in instead on what general understandings we can come to about who God has made us to be based on this word picture of us being the body. And and I have four different things I think we can learn here this morning. The first is this. We are to be humble. We've been called to be a part of a great big body. We are one of millions and millions that are called to this body. And God calls us to be humble, recognizing we we only get to be a part of the body because of what he has done. Not because we're extra cool, but because of what he has done. 
And so this passage says to us, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Instead, think of yourself with sober judgment. We recognize that the Bible teaches that every single human being is tempted towards pride. We are tempted to think of ourselves more often than we should. We're tempted to think of ourselves more often than we think of God or more often than we think of others. We are tempted in pride to think that our ways of doing things are the right ways of doing things. Do you know what I mean? Let me give you a silly illustration. When my wife and I got married, we had different ways of folding shirts. I want to show you the two different ways that we folded shirts so that you can vote here this morning. Right here, my way of folding shirts when we got married, oops, let me turn it around. Very important on a plain gray t-shirt. My way was the trifold, right? I, I would fold it into thirds, kind of, right? And then fold it in half. My wife's way of folding a shirt was to fold the shirt in half, tuck the sleeves, and fold it in half again. Now, for the first 15 years of our marriage, whoever was doing the laundry folded the shirts their way and insisted that their way was the right way and that the other person just hadn't learned appropriately growing up. And then, after 15 years, one day, probably mostly out of boredom, I decided to try and fold the shirts the way that my wife folded the shirts. And sure enough, I folded it in half, I tucked the sleeves, I folded it over, and I thought, huh, this actually might be easier. And that day, I converted. After 15 years, I started folding the shirts the way that my wife folded the shirts. And so, ladies, if you're out there right now and you're like, well, I've had this little squabble with my husband for all of these years, there's hope. Right? There's hope. You may win this. It may take 15 years, but there's hope. I can see some of you out there right now going, oh, it's been so much longer than 15 years, and I have not won the battle. Right, but you guys, we, we all of us, even in the silliest of issues, think of our way as the right way because we have a tendency towards pride. Pride also convinces us that whatever strengths we have as people, those are the most important strengths. And so if I'm really good at administration, but eh, with people, then what do I think of as the most important qualities? You showing up on time, a nice neat calendar, everybody doing their jobs the way they're supposed to be done. But if I'm really good with relationships, but I'm just terrible with administration... Right? What are the most important strengths? Clearly, it's in relationships. As I'm growing in my relationship with Christ, if I have a great prayer life and I am devoted to prayer with God, but I struggle to serve God and serve others, well, clearly it is prayer that is the mark of maturity. And if I'm really good at serving God by serving others, but I'm struggling with my prayer life, well, clearly it is service that is the mark of maturity. Because in pride, whatever our strengths are, we think of as the most important strengths. And so God says to us, you guys, I don't want any of that in my church. I want my church to be a body that is filled with humility, where everyone, as Philippians 2 says, is modeling life after Christ and considering others, what does it say? As better 
than themselves. As better than themselves. God says, I don't want you thinking of yourselves more than you should. I don't want you constantly thinking your way is the right way. I don't want you filled with pride. Instead, I want you filled with humility. So how do we grow in that kind of humility? Well, for one, by recognizing everything good that we just read about in this passage and everything good in our life is a gift from God. Why do I get to be a part of the body of Christ? Is it because I'm just super cool? No, absolutely not. Oh, man, I'm so thankful nobody amened on that. Is it, hey, that. Appreciate that. Why do I get to be a part of the body of Christ? It's because of his great grace. It's because of what he has done for me. If I have any faith that allows me to be pleasing to God day in and day out, is that because I have earned all of that? No, what does it say here? It says that that faith is a gift from God. If I have gifts that are usable to God and his kingdom, is that because I've worked hard to attain those gifts? No, the the word that is translated spiritual gifts actually in the Greek is grace gifts. He apportions them as he sees fit. And he has chosen to give us particular talents and gifts. It all comes from him. It is all about him. And so we agree with Paul in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. We won't boast about anything, nothing in all of the world except except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, except in Christ and Christ crucified. That is the one thing we will boast in and the one thing that we will brag about because it's all about him. And so as a body of believers, this passage calls us to live in humility together. And that flows out of point number two of us being a body. And the second point is this. We submit to Jesus as the head of the body. The New Testament teaches us, as we're going to see, that we are all different parts or members of the body. Some people are a hand. Other people are a foot. Some people are an ear or an eye. But the picture in Scripture is always that Christ is the head of the body. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy What is the relationship between the hand and the rest of our body parts? I'm sorry, between the head and the rest of our body parts. right? Our brains, our heads, tell the rest of the parts of our body what to do, and they do them. The rest of the parts of our body don't make independent decisions. If I walk up to you after the service and I slap you, right? That was so violent. Why? Why? Right? If I walk up after the service and I slap you, can I blame that on my hand? I hate when it does that. I don't know what's going on. It just has a mind of its own. Well, no, it doesn't have a mind of its own, right? The parts of our body do what our minds tell the parts of our body to do. And that's the relationship between Jesus as the head and all of us as parts of the body. What do we do? We do whatever the head, Jesus Christ, tells us to do. So that in every decision that we make, Every conversation that we have and every declaration that we make, what is most important to us is what we have learned from the head because we just want to live out whatever Jesus has called us to. You guys, that's so important in a day and age like this where there are so many different opinions and so many controversies that every decision and every declaration we make 
represents Jesus as our head in all of those things. Uh, Many weeks ago now, there was a church that decided to do something that the government told churches they shouldn't do. And, And they put out a letter to their congregation about the decision that they were making. Now, uh, the point of this illustration isn't whether or not they should have made that decision. You could justify that decision biblically, but they didn't. In the letter that they sent to the congregation, instead of talking about, here is what we think Jesus would do in this situation, or here's what we think Jesus would call people to do in this situation, or here is what the Scripture says about this particular situation and how the principles apply to the decision that we're making, instead they put out a letter that said, we're really frustrated. And we want to do something different. And we think we have rights. Right? Frustrations and wants and rights. And what they communicated to their people in the midst of that is the Bible is a really great book for these short little inspirations that we want to give you on Sunday morning. But when it comes to practical decision-making... You may very well be governed by your frustrations, your wants, and your rights. But but God's call for all churches is that he would be the head. And that every decision we make and every declaration we make about those decisions would flow out of what Jesus wants and what his word teaches us. That's true for us as individuals within the body as well. As we're having conversations about all kinds of hot-button issues that are alive today. You can tell whether Jesus is the head of us as we have those conversations, as we post things on social media. We're we're having conversations and posting things about hot-button issues like government decisions or stay-at-home orders or social justice issues or mass or all kinds of different things that we're talking about and posting about. And we can tell that Jesus is the head in our life if the tenor of those conversations, if what leads us in the posts that we make is what Jesus would have for us in that situation and the principles of his word and how they apply. And we can tell that perhaps something else is the head in our life if our conversations and our posts are all about our frustrations and our wants and our rights. Those who have Jesus as the head, their primary goal, their primary aim is always to say, what what is Jesus calling us to here? What do the principles of his word teach us about this particular situation? And so we want to be those who submit to Jesus as the head of the body in each and everything in our life so that every decision, every declaration flows out of what he wants and what his word teaches us. Jesus is our head. We just want to be obedient to him as parts of the body. But we also see, the third thing that I'm going to throw up here in a second, is that as parts of the body, we're all different parts of the body. This passage says, some may be a hand, some may be a nose, some may be a foot. And we celebrate those differences within the body of Christ. Point number three, we celebrate that God makes us different. In pride and insecurity, I look around at other people and the fact that they have different talents and different gifts, and I say, boy, 
it's too bad for them they're not more like me. Right? I, mean, I mean, it's too bad they don't process information the way I process it. It's too bad their sense of humor doesn't match mine. It's too bad their talents and gifts aren't the same as my talents and gifts. But in humility and love, we look around at people who are different and we say, thank you, Lord, that you have made them to process information differently than I have. Thank you, Lord, that you've given them different talents. Thank you that you've equipped them with different gifts because it makes your body more effective for what you have called us to. And we celebrate those differences that we have. The, the illustration that is used here is of different body parts. And so let's, let's play with that illustration a little bit. I'm going to need a volunteer. I have uh, an egg here. And I need a volunteer who is willing to try and catch an egg. Oh, Josh, thanks. I appreciate that. I appreciate you raising your hand and volunteering that way. So, Josh, I, I'm going to throw you this egg. And I would like... Yeah, absolutely. I cannot blame you one bit. Now, my preference, Josh, is that you catch this with your hands. Now, I, I didn't realize how nervous I was going to be throwing this to you, so who knows where this is going to go. And, you, yeah, you guys want to pay attention. You want to make sure. I see people be like, no, no, this is not happening right now. All right, so when I throw this to you, get ready to dive in any direction. All right, you're going to catch this with your hands. Here we go. One, two, three. Hey, look at us go. Nice work. Okay, I actually hard-boiled the egg just in case because I didn't want to make a mess here uh, because they'd make me clean it up. Yes, and you are welcome to eat the hard-boiled egg because I don't... Oh, no. yeah, absolutely. Next week's lesson's online. All right, now I have another egg, uh, and I would love for a volunteer who would be willing to catch this egg with their nose. Right, Josh caught that one with his hands. Is there somebody who would be willing to catch this one with their nose? Right? No, no, no one's willing to do that. Why? Because if you have to catch something, an egg or anything else, I would suggest your hands. God has made your hands so that they're equipped to catch things. Your nose, not so much. But if you're driving home today and you want to literally stop and smell the roses... Would you rather do that with your hands or with your nose? Right? Clearly with the nose. Because God has equipped the nose just for that. And that's what God is getting at in this passage. All of us are different within the body of Christ. Just like your body has different parts that have different functions, so we all have different talents, different gifts, and different functions. And God calls us to celebrate that. Not look at others and look down on them, because they have different lives, different talents, and different gifts than we have. As a matter of fact, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, oops, sorry, I missed one. I'm a little out of order. It says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We can't look around at other people who have different backgrounds, different talents, different gifts, and say, too bad you're not more like me. Right? We can't look down on other people because they have different gifts than we have. Are you guys familiar with the Kansas City Chiefs? I believe they are the defending Super Bowl champions. Is that correct? Yeah, some of you are like, eh, do we have to admit that? Do we have any Kansas City Chief fans in here? 
Really, nobody, no one has jumped on board that bandwagon. Good job. I appreciate that. The Kansas City Chiefs have a quarterback, and what is his name? Patrick Mahomes, and he is a genius when it comes to throwing the football. He puts the football where he wants it to be, when he wants it to be, and because he is a unique genius at throwing the football, he just got paid an enormous amount of money. The Kansas City Chiefs also have a left tackle. His name is Eric Fisher. He's 6'7", 320 pounds, and he's very good at blocking defensive linemen as they try and get to the quarterback. Now, what would be the effect on the Kansas City Chiefs if all Eric Fisher ever did is look down on Patrick Mahomes because Patrick Mahomes isn't effective at blocking defensive linemen? And all Patrick Mahomes did was look down on Eric Fisher because Eric Fisher isn't that great at throwing the football. That kind of looking down on each other because we have different gifts tears a team apart, doesn't it? And so instead, what do the Chiefs do? They accept that they've been given different gifts. They celebrate that they've been given those different gifts. And they utilize them for the good of the team. And that's God's call for us as a church. We're never to look down on others because they have different talents and different gifts than we have. But we're also never to look down on ourselves because other people have different gifts and talents than we have. We may be tempted at times to look around and go, oh, look at their talents, look at their gifts. I wish I had those. That's way cooler than the gifts and talents that I got. Can you imagine what would happen if Patrick Mahomes just stood around on the field all year this year and said, oh, man, look at Eric Fisher. He's so good at blocking defensive linemen. I can't believe I don't have that gift. That's even ridiculous to say, isn't it? Because they recognize the gifts that they've been given, and they utilize them, and they celebrate them. And we need to recognize, who is it that gives us the gifts? It's God that gives us the gifts. They're grace gifts. We are apportioned the gifts according to what he believes the body needs at that time, and he doesn't make mistakes. And so the gifts that you've been given, those are his gifts for you. Are they different than other people? Yes. But friends, if you're a hand for this body, don't spend your time getting worked up that you're not a foot. And if you're a foot for the body, don't get worked up because you're not an ear. Instead, recognize the talents and the gifts that God has given to you. Never look down on yourself and what God has given you because it's different than what someone else has. We celebrate that God has made us different. And then we take action. We get in the game. Sorry, I uh, skipped a verse there. You'll have to look it up on your own. More 1 Corinthians 12. But what if the Chiefs went out this week, uh, this year, to play a game, and Eric Fisher, that left tackle, decided, tired. It's been a challenging season in life. Uh, I don't feel like I'm going to play. I mean, yeah, I'll stand out here, but I don't feel like I'm actually going to block anybody. That takes a lot of effort and a lot of work. Right? What's going to happen to the Chiefs if Eric Fisher decides to do that? They're going to get crushed. Each and every game, their quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, is going to get mutilated if their left tackle decides... I don't really want to use my gifts and talents today. I'm done. 
I'm out for a while. Every player on a team has to utilize their gifts and talents in order for that team to be successful. All 11 players on the field in football have to do their job and do it to the very best of their ability in order for that team to be successful. And the same is true within the church. That's why God says in 1 Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I want you to notice that this passage doesn't say many of you should use whatever gift you have received. It doesn't even say some of you should use whatever gift you have received. What does it say? Each of you, each and every one of you who are followers of Jesus Christ should use whatever gift and talent that God has given to you in order to build up the body and build the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Right? Each and every one. God calls us to get in the game and use our talents and our gifts in order to serve him and serve other people. We live in a world that is filled with watching and critiquing. Let's all watch somebody do something, and then let's judge how they did it. Okay, we watched that show. How did that person sing? I give them a 7 out of 10. How did that person dance? I give them an 8 out of 10. How did that person do whatever? I give them a 2 out of 10. Like we, we live in a society that is dedicated to watching and critiquing. But God calls us to something very different. He calls us to membership in the body. And when God says you're a member of the church, he doesn't mean member like we might think about organizational membership in our day and age. I'm a member at Planet Fitness. Right? Now, Planet Fitness doesn't care if I show up 30 times this month or zero times this month. I get to be a member if I pay my $10 a month. That's how membership works. Pay your dues and you get to be a part of the club, no matter how much you participate. Some of you may be members of organizations where you become members simply so you can have a say or vote. That's organizational membership. And when a church begins to think of membership like that, become a member so that you can have a say, become a member so that you can vote, become a member and pay your dues and you're in. That is the death knell of the church. Because God says, I define membership very differently than that. God's definition of being a member of the church is you're a member, a part of the body. You're a hand, you're a foot, you're an ear. And in order for the body to function as he designed it to function, you have to play your role. You have to get in the game. There is no room within God's family for people to sit in the stands and watch people play out on the field. God has called every person who is a part of his body to get on the field and use the talents and the gifts that they have been given in order to serve him, serve the church, and impact the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has called all of us to use our gifts and talents so that we, as a team, can win. What does that look like? It's easy to tell what it looks like for the Kansas City Chiefs to win. What does it look like for us if we win? It looks like us sitting here a year from now, 
in deeper relationship with Jesus Christ than we are right now. Winning looks like there being a whole new set of people here next year because we've been sharing the message of Jesus Christ with our friends, with our neighbors, with our fellow students and our coworkers, and seeing people come to know Jesus. Winning looks like us taking on more and more of the character of Christ and living more and more of the fruit of his spirit in our lives. And in order for us to win as a team, we all have to play. We all have to be a part of using our gifts and talents in order to be a part of the body of Christ. Would you guys join me in praying towards that? There, there are cards on your chairs. And on those Connect cards, there's a little box that is marked serving. And if you want to know more about how you can serve here at the church, or if God is laying on your heart right now, I want to serve in this way, by all means, check that little box marked serve. You can write notes on the back about ways you might want to serve or whatever God is speaking to you right now about serving. We'd love to talk to you about what that looks like so that each of us can use whatever gift we have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for this teaching that we are the body of Christ. We recognize that it means that each and every one of us has value in the kingdom because you have equipped us with specific gifts and talents that can be used to further your name. Lord, we pray that as we look around, we would not be judging others based on strengths and talents and gifts, but that we'd be celebrating that you've made us different and that we would be utilizing the gifts that you've given us in order to draw more people into relationship with Jesus Christ and ultimately to grow more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.